the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Boy, he's in desperate need of some padding. We need some fenders or bumpers to deal with the plummet on Wall Street today. Good afternoon, by the way. Welcome. It's a Tuesday. And as we... uh, are delighted to have you join us on this edition of Lifeline. If you've been watching the markets today, you have my sympathies. If you weren't, let me <laughs> let me fill you in. Uh, mixed reaction to a number of earnings reports. Some have been up. PepsiCo had a good uh, first quarter. Certainly, uh, the folks at Coca-Cola did so. GM, not so much. Housing starts, not so much. The markets took this as a sign of instability. And as a result, we saw a pretty significant drop today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell more than 800 points, and all three major indices tumbled. The Nasdaq dropped nearly 4% to hit its lowest close since December of 2020. S&P also down 120 points The Nasdaq down 514 points to win the day at 12,490. Ouch. But that's enough of that news. Let's go on to more (laughs) troubling news. Markets go down. That's what they do. And they bounce back up. It's the ebb and flow. But there's sometimes decisions that we make that can impact a lifetime, that can impact an eternity. California State Assembly Health Committee has voted on an 11 to 3 vote to pass Assembly Bill 2223. And I got to tell you, if there's a bill out there that is more demonstrative of the slipping of our sense of humanity in the state of California, I, I don't know what that bill would be. We've been following this story from the get-go. We've now invited Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, to join us for a bit of analysis. This bill, Counselor, and thank you for joining us, this bill seems to go out of its way to make sure that abortion on demand is not only protected in the state of California, but even anything remotely close to a traditional abortion is now apparently protected. Um, boy, you talk about an aspect here that removes so many of the guardrails that heretofore had been in place. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta really wonder what's happened to our humanity. Yeah, Craig, this is uh, so outrageous. Uh, it's it's almost un- unthinkable that this would legalize the murder of a baby 
uh, at the perinatal point, which is uh, between seven days and uh, four weeks after birth. Uh, you know, that's what our attorneys have, have researched it, and it's very clear that um, that a baby it, with this, this passes could be murdered by the mother or allowed to die by the mother or uh, have the, or, or taken out and killed by a doctor at the discretion of the mother. And there's no criminal prosecution uh, at all uh, allowed, number one. Number two, even if uh, there's no investigation allowed, and if a coroner or someone does investigate uh, the death of a baby at that early stage, uh, then they can be civilly sued uh, for monetary damages. Uh, this is uh, it's a legalization of a of, ba- of like sacrificing babies effectively to the mother's discretion, and it's supposed to be you know pregnant. They say, well, it's pregnancy related. Is the language they inserted, but you know, postpartum depression is pregnancy related, and uh, and so that's you know that's really not any kind of a protection at all. It's just tragic, and unfortunately, it looks like it's going to go to the to the, the assembly floor for a general vote. Well, there, there's a couple of things here that, that, that are really puzzling me. One is, and you just briefly alluded to it, the bill removes the duty of a coroner to determine how a newborn died um, if the death is known or suspected to be the result of self-induced or criminal abortion. So essentially that's saying What? that if somebody reports discovering the lifeless body of a baby in a dumpster, that the coroner's department, that the police department will no longer be compelled to investigate. They're just going to assume that, yeah, it's probably a awkward abortion. I mean, is that really what we're saying here? Yes, and, and the, the, the bottom line, what's the thrust of this legislation, Craig, is that uh, it's really the abortion mills Planned Parenthood, the abortion clinics that are really, really pushing this. So that way they have the ability uh, to take the life of a preborn or newborn baby and kill it and put it in the dumpster and not have to worry about being investigated or criminally prosecuted. Uh, you know, there was a, an abortionist back east, I think it was in Philadelphia. Um, you know, he was prosecuted on multiple counts for killing babies after, right after they were born. Uh, he's behind bars for life. Uh, if he was living, if that law was in effect, uh, for him, um, he would be off scot-free, and they could say, go ahead and kill the, the babies after they're born while the baby's crying with the arms held out. Go ahead and stab the baby. That's legal here. That's what this legislation would do. It's, it's sick. It's demented. It's not you know, hypothetical. We saw that in Philadelphia. We see it at, at, at abortion, from abortion clinics that do abortions up all the way up to the point of birth, and, uh, and now they want to expand it effectively so that they can uh, take out babies and kill them um, you know, pretty much for any reason at all, so long as it's uh, within that, that scope right after the baby's born, you know, within seven days or, or 28 days, uh, depending on the statutory interpretation. But it's definitely post-birth. Wow. And, and adding insult to injury, not only does it re- basically relieve the coroner of this very important responsibility, but do I understand you correctly, Counselor, that if, for example, law enforcement investigates something that has been brought to their attention that appears to be suspicious, that the mother has a right to sue the law enforcement agency for investigating yeah. or even just threatening to investigate her pregnancy outcome? Yeah. Oh, yes. She gets to law enforcement, the coroner's office, anyone who investigates uh, her murdering of, of the baby or her allowing a doctor or abortionist to murder the baby. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and it also opens the door for all kinds of, uh, of uh, sick uh, philosophies being implemented. So a child's born with a, a birth defect, parents say, yeah, kill it. Um, this kind of a, of a sick mentality is, is, is historic. It's, uh, it's, we've seen in history the question is, are we going to learn from history? Are we going to allow this to continue to, uh, to get uh, more and more inhumane and uh, grotesque? Um, you know, other states like te- Texas passed heartbeat legislation. Over 30,000 precious babies' lives have been saved since that passed just in the last year. And here California is moving to make California the abortion mill capital of the world. And uh, this is something we have to stand up to. Uh, And that's something we at Pacific Justice Institute, we gave our our legal analysis letter. Uh, We put it on file. Uh, We submitted it to the committees. And uh, we're going to continue to weigh in on this from a a legal perspective. And hopefully they'll they'll see the light. I'm I'm wondering in terms of the the legal response to all of this. I mean, you know, we used to work on the premise that uh, life was precious um, and to be protected at all costs. We are slowly making a march away from that. Um, given the direction that California is headed in, I mean, wh- where do we see this eventually going or, or ending? I mean, it just it just seems like it is getting more and more aggressive to the point where even our own governor wants to create a so-called sanctuary state. Yeah, for, for abortions. Uh, you know, there's a, a professor at Harvard uh, who's a, uh, an ethics philosophy professor who advocates that it should be up to six months that parents should be able to, to kill their babies, kill their little ones. Um, and he's a, a Harvard professor with ethics and philosophy. Uh, there's, there's actually no limit. When we, when we veer away from the laws of nature and nature's God, we don't recognize the sanctity of human life. Uh, this is the ugly turn that, we can t- that things can take. And we become no better than the, the Aztecs who sacrificed babies, Baal, or, uh, or many other horrific uh, examples in history that didn't appreciate the sanctity of human life. This is what happens when convenience takes over uh, the, the, the value of life, and uh, uh, that's, what, that's what we're facing uh, here in, in California. Uh, it, it's, it's not going to stop, and it's only going to get worse, and that's why we have to fight it. I encourage everyone, everyone to contact their state legislator, uh, let them know that this, this matters, that they're going to vote, and they're going to take this into consideration, and, uh, and not, to, uh, you know, not to just take this lightheartedly. It's, um, it's, it's going to be it's been a very dark, dark uh, uh, trail for this, uh, this state and this nation. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Available on the web at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Let's uh, spend a moment, turn back the hands of time for just a brief second. It was November of 2018, seemingly eons ago. But take my word for it. It was November of 2018 when California voters approved Proposition 12, the so-called Farm Animal Confinement Initiative, which essentially requires humane treatment for animals that are essentially on the way to slaughter. And I know some in the audience, and I, 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 I want to be sensitive here, that sometimes the terminology is, is a bit harsh, but that's what they do. I mean, we raise animals 
to slaughter. They get sent to a slaughterhouse, and they become food for us eventually. If you're a strict vegetarian, I apologize for the rest of us out there that are under the carnivore category. We're appreciative that this industry exists. And yet it's it's coming under extreme pressure by a state like California that in the passage of this bill has created what a friend of mine used to call a sticky wicket. <laughs> Not quite sure what that means, but a problematic circumstance in that it requires these humane treatments, you know, so much square feet for uh, uh, pork and so forth, um, and, you know, kind of regulating the conditions under which they are raised to eventually be taken to the slaughterhouse, that it insists that all pork products, in this case, that are sold in the state of California meet California standards as to how they were raised. Say, well, there's nothing unfair or unreasonable about that until until you realize that 99% of pork products consumed in the state of California are raised in another state. So now that you begin to wonder, well, how does California exercise control over products that are produced in another state but brought here? And the answer would be, in short, exactly. So for more details to talk about this and the constitutional conundrum that uh, the state may find itself in, we've invited Bob Zadek to join us on the program. Bob is a CPA, a lawyer, a constitutional historian, best-selling author, and the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in America today, The Bob Zadek Show, which is heard here in the greater San Francisco Bay region every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. Bob, as always, thank you so much for spending some time with us. California certainly has a right as a state to pass rules and regulations related to what goes on in our state, and I suppose it even has a say-so in what is allowed to come across state lines for importation and sale. We have uh, agricultural checkpoints, for example, at major entrances into California, at the California-Oregon border, the California-Nevada border. So I-, I get and understand all of that. What I don't quite understand here, beyond what appears to be the overreach of agricultural concerns, is the notion that somehow California can impose its own rules and regulations as to the conduct of how pork is raised outside of the state of California. How, how is that even possible? Well, um, well, we'll find out if it's possible because the Supreme Court has a case on its docket that will tell us if it is possible. But first, let's do some background, Craig. This is a wonderful topic for us to spend a few seconds, only a few seconds, because we want to talk about uh, raising pigs in South Carolina. We want to have plenty of time for that. But before we get to raising pigs in South Carolina, we are talking about the California's system of creating laws, not through the legislature, but rather by ballot proposition. Now, when laws are created, and I'm going to really make a assumption that's probably 
not that accurate, but I'm going to do it. When a bill is presented to the legislature for consideration, presumably rational humans think about it. It goes to a committee. Occasionally there are hearings, and they figure out how much this is going to cost and what it's going to do, and is the wording okay, or do we have to change the wording? Will there be unintended consequences? Let's see if we can pass a workmanlike piece of legislation. We will presume that process goes on. Sometimes it does, and of course, sometimes it does not. But we're going to assume that. Now, compare that with a proposition. A proposition is conceived of by a group of people who care a great deal about it. Probably they care a lot more than the voters who get to vote on it. And for sure, those people who promote a proposition and collect signatures and get it on the ballot, they care about it a lot, a lot more than the voters, and they have figured out not how to draft legislation that works. No, they just want to figure out how to draft a bill that will get 50 and 50.1% of the voters. So they might appeal to the hearts of the voters more than to the voters' minds. And if they can uh, get the voters to say, what the heck, it sounds like a good idea, I don't care that much, but okay, and voters vote for it without any analysis, without any thought process, without any, well, wait a minute, is this going to work? No, voters don't have time. I wouldn't expect them to. So Proposition 12 is appeals to those people who think animals should be treated appropriately, humanely, if you will. Well, I think everybody who's listening to this show would say if they had to choose between animals being treated humanely and those being treated inhumanely, those being the only two choices, they would say, I vote for humane. Proposition 12 presented a bit of, le it's not legislation, but a proposed law that said, kind of, pigs and other uh, farm animals, but focus on pigs, have to be raised humanely. And they set forth some standards. The pigs have to have a certain a room to run around and to procreate and to play and to watch Netflix and all the things that pigs do while, before they turn into bacon. So it goes on the ballot. Everybody says, I vote for humane. If the opposite is cruel, I vote for humane. So, of course, the proposition passes. Because we have more people who consider themselves humane than inhumane. So passing it was a piece of cake. And here we are. And now what happens? Now we have a California piece of legislation that says, basically, you cannot sell pork products in California 
unless the pig, which is what the pork product was before it was a pork product, unless the pig has been raised under certain conditions that we set forth. Wow. So, and unless that pork product was raised in accordance with California's rules, it can't be sold in the state. Now, Craig, imagine now the state of California, which is now going to enforce the bill. And it, we have a supermarket, which has bacon on the shelf. How in the world does a California regulator know when this bacon was a pig, how much room it had to play? <laughs> Lots of luck. You can't ask the bacon. He couldn't even ask you when it was a pig. So now we have the mother of all regulatory problems. Well, and not, not only that, but then you dig a little bit deeper into this, and I think, well, okay, well, what if we if we um, had an agreement amongst the states that insisted upon a certain uh, level of treatment so that we were uh, consistent and were able to, across the board, fairly apply this California law? But, but who's to say that the pig that started out in uh, Nebraska, for example, didn't get sold to a slaughterhouse in Illinois and then shipped off to a third location for actual packaging how do they how do they trace all of that back and then put the proper controls in place to make certain that it all complies with California law we've just made things infinitely more complex and when we come back we're really going <laughs> to if you think we already have blown your mind just wait there's more um if California is, ostensibly speaking, uh, permitted to do this, how many other types of industries could potentially be impacted? I mean, California's proven it loves to regulate. So if it can regulate here, then what other manufacturing can be impacted by all of this? And do we suddenly create a scenario where Manufacturers of goods and services and products produce 49 of them for 49 states, but California special. It's one thing to say, let's add a couple of emissions controls products on an automobile that's sold in California. A dealer can do that. Who's going to do that to make sure your pork product is properly raised? Is Costco responsible for that? Is Safeway responsible for that? And as we're adding more layers of regulation, more layers of red tape, doesn't that also stand a reason that we're going to add more layers of expense? Suddenly, what you thought was your go-to meat is off the table. You might as well be, you know, you might as well buy yourself a nice filet mignon because pork could wind up being about the same price. And it only gets worse from here. Bob Zadek, host of The Bob Zadek Show. You can catch him Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock on 860 AM. The Answer on the web at bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Oh, we've got much more to fry, I, I mean to unwrap, as Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about pork on this edition of Lie. You think, <laughs> he said what? Well, in a broader sense, it is Proposition 12 passed by California voters back in 2018 that requires all pork products sold in California meet California standards regardless of where the pork is raised. California imports from our neighboring states 99% of the pork products that we consume. So your bacon, your sausage, your ham, all comes from out of state. And of course, the the question that we're trying to work through today from a constitutional standpoint is, can California actually do this? And, and, And is it not up to Congress to regulate commerce amongst the states? Congress, commerce, and and if that be the case, then it would seem that California is engaging in a pretty significant overreach here. And, and, and Bob Zadek, to that very point, I mean, regulation is inherent in a state like California. It's what we love to do. But, you know, it, it, it's one thing to talk about what we will and will not allow into the state for sale. It's something entirely different to suddenly suggest how that product should be produced. And I have to wonder, to a broader degree, and then I'll shut up and, and turn the microphone over to you, to a broader degree, if if this particular proposition is allowed to stand, then who's to say that California couldn't step in in every other regard? For example, say that, well, any 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 furniture that is imported into the state of California uh, must be done by licensed contractors, licensed carpenters, or um, products produced uh, must, uh, you know, must see compensation to those that are producing their products of at least equal to the California state minimum wage, or we won't allow you to sell your product in California. I mean, it could get ridiculous really fast. It's uh, there are you zeroed in on two different but really interesting issues. First of all, California has what is called a broad police power. All states do. Police power means far more than just policemen. Police power is a phrase which describes broadly the protection of the health, welfare, safety, well-being of citizens. So it's health, welfare, as well as physical protection. And states have broad police powers. Now, presumably, California is exercising its police powers, protecting the citizens of California. That's what it has the right to do. But Craig, what are they protecting citizens from? There is no claim that pork produced by pigs that are overly confined or raised inhumanely by California standards. There's no suggestion those pork products are unhealthy. So what are they protecting us from? This stat, this bill, this proposition, now law, is only protecting out-of-state pigs, <laughs> not California humans. And pigs don't vote in California or elsewhere. So how do they defend this? Well, California, there are many citizens 
whose psychic well-being, Craig, I kid you not, whose psychic well-being is torn asunder at the very thought of eating bacon, which was taken from a pig that didn't go to the movies. And it makes Californians upset, and they start hitting Prozac and going to therapy. So this is for the psychic well-being of California residents. Think about that one for a few minutes. So if we stipulate that's a lot of BS, then we are concluding this is a piece of California legislation where the only beneficiary is a Nebraska pig. How does California get around protecting Nebraska pigs? What are we doing? So utterly insane. The second issue is once we get past that utter absurdity, now we have uh, California saying this cannot come into California. Just imagine the enforcement regime. This means that ultimately there's going to be some requirement that every pork product have some kind of a certification. Who will certify? A California state official who will go to South Carolina and inspect the pork, the pig farm in South Carolina. But what if the pig farmer in South Carolina doesn't let him in? What if California, what if South Carolina doesn't let the California inspector in? Well, then they can't get a certification. So now, and imagine, as you said, how do you follow the pig between a farm in South Carolina and the slaughterhouse, the packing house, or everything else in between before it gets to be bacon in the bonds? It seems to be impossible. So now what happens is everybody decides, screw it. We're not going to be certified. It's too expensive, and there's no way just to pass the cost along to the California purchaser. You have to pass the cost along to the whole country. So pork producers will simply say, okay, let's get rid of California. Let's not sell in California and not let them eat cake. That was Marie Antoinette. But let them eat turkey bacon. Screw them. And you and I, Craig, will be driving to Truckee and wait for some unmarked station wagon or <laughs> SUV to pull up, and a guy in a trench coat will look both ways, will open the hood of his SUV and sell us black market bacon that we will mark up and sell on the streets of San Francisco uh, because they can't buy it in the Vons because it can't get certified. So just this, and Craig, we're not making this up. This is what happens when New York packs the heck out of cigarettes. People were driving down on the weekends to Virginia, buying unpacked cigarettes and selling them in the black market in New York City. So New York City's tax revenue went down because nobody was paying the tax. And everyone is just driving to Virginia to buy untaxed cigarettes or to buy guns, whatever else is prohibited. And prohibited, think about prohibition. So we end up with turkey bacon or no bacon or truckee 
in the back of an SUV if we want pork. Well, now, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court is will be deciding this. Uh, a bunch of pork producers brought an action under what is called the Dormant Commerce Clause, which is not in the Constitution directly, but it's there by implication. And it says, and it's strong constitutional principle, it says, in general, states cannot adversely impact interstate commerce by their own legislation. And the test is, does the California legislation have an adverse impact on interstate commerce of pork? And if so, it'll be struck down. And I think the short answer to that question is absolutely yes. I mean, to begin with, talk about short-sightedness. How does California anticipate enforcement of this law take place? If you are, as Bob has suggested, a pork producer from out of state, do you allow California state inspectors to come into your state, into your meat processing plant to inspect to make sure that the, the slaughter process was within California guidelines or that it, the, uh, the, the pen that the pork was raised in is of the proper dimensions? Do they come through with um, rulers to make certain that all of this comes into compliance? And, and beyond the question of authority, uh, then you have this debacle that's being created that pork producers are going to say, well, wait a minute now, you know, you're, you're, for us to be compliant, you're cutting into our profit margin. So are you really anticipating, as I alluded to earlier, that there's one regulation that covers California and a different standard for the rest of the United States and therefore pork exporters, not exporting overseas, but, but people that sell pork to the state of California have a whole other set of criteria that they have to abide by. How do you even enforce something like that? As Bob suggested, this seems to be one of those very bizarre feel-good laws that has incredible potential implications, not only for the consumer, but quite frankly, incredible implications from a constitutional standpoint as commerce control under the Commerce Clause is left up to Congress to regulate commerce amongst the states. Here, California thinks it can do it. Amazing. We'll unpack more of this as our conversation continues. By the way, uh, while there's aspects of this discussion today that might appear to be um, superficially lighthearted, it does raise some very significant constitutional questions, and it is these sort of uh, significant constitutional questions that maybe on the surface you don't quite see, but upon further investigation begin to discover just exactly what the implications are for your own life. Well, Bob deals with these kinds of issues all the time on his program. It's called The Bob Zadek Show, and it's heard here in the San Francisco Bay Area, syndicated uh, across the states, but he is available here in the San Francisco Bay Area, live every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. And you can get information about past broadcasts, past guests, podcasts of previous shows, information about Bob's books, too, and other resources by checking out his website, bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Let's take a time out back with more. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're uh, we're unpacking some weighty topics here, and I, I I realize as much as I suggest some of this is mildly offered tongue in cheek. This is a real bill that's creating a real problem, and if the United States Supreme Court doesn't step in and do something, it could get exponentially worse here because there are so many aspects of this that just make no sense whatsoever. I mean, not least of which is the inability to even uh, control regulation unless we intend state expense uh, to send out inspectors, uh, fan them out across all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the plain states and the, the middle portion of the United States to see how every pig farmer is conducting themselves. And then the question is raised, well, could they even have a legal right to do so, which I would suggest, you know, potentially, probably not. At the end of the day, I have to wonder... Bob Zadek, if, if there are people that have moral objections to the manner in which pork is raised and brought to slaughter, I get that, I understand that, then why not just simply say pork products that are going to be sold in California that do not comply with the uh, the California Humane uh, regulations, that you have to do uh, put a label on it? And, you know, as much as we label for Prop 65, you know, a product may contain cancer-causing chemicals in it. So everything that comes into California has to have that sticker on it. Wouldn't that be a lot easier way of handling all of this instead of what has been uh, created here as a potential legal boondoggle? Good for you, Craig. That's exactly a sensible solution, um, because that would honor the freedom of consumers in California to make a choice. Those who simply do not care and who don't care, the same people who might not care whether their fruits and vegetables are organic or not, we're not forced to buy organic. We can have a choice. We can overpay and get organic, or we can pay what something is really worth and not buy organic. It's our choice, and consumers get to pick. If you had a labeling regime, then what would happen would be most pork producers would find it to be too expensive to raise their pigs uh, the way California wants, and they would bypass the California market. But a few, a few producers, like those who grow organic vegetables, a few producers with their eye on the California market would, in fact, raise their pigs consistent with the California Proposition 12. They would have the label, and consumers in California uh, would be able to buy those pork products. Now, the reason, I'm kind of guessing, but it's a very informed guess, the reason the statute didn't just require the more freedom-granting labeling regime, inform the consumer, let the consumer decide, the reason is that those who put Proposition 12 on the ballot weren't that concerned about how pigs were raised. They were all vegans, and they would have preferred nobody eat pork. So they were not interested in giving people a choice between pork and pork. They wanted to give people a choice between turkey bacon and soy bacon, and leave the pigs 
off the table. So that's the real reason, the hidden agenda of those people who put the proposition on the ballot. Because they could have protected pigs, as I said, by simply providing a labeling regime. But they didn't want to do so because it wasn't really what they had in mind. So, Craig, good for you. You you found yourself jumping right to the alternative, the way to give everybody what they want. You jumped to it right away, Craig, but that's not what Proposition 12 says. And the Supreme Court will have to decide whether California's protection of -of out-of-state pigs, whether California, through legislation, can protect uh, Nebraska pigs or not, the Supreme Court will decide in this term. And what's interesting, Craig, is I tried to handicap it and figure out whether this is conservative versus progressive judges, whether this is Uh, those judges who are originalists versus those who are not, whether it's democratically appointed or Republican appointed, and it's hard to handicap the Supreme Court based upon those typical dividing lines. So we will have to wait and see how the Supreme Court turns out, because this doesn't lend itself to an easy conservative versus progressive analysis. Now, Robert, a a final question for you, and and an important one. While this particular scenario is going to ultimately, as you indicated, be decided at the U.S. Supreme Court, I want to circle back beyond the the potential triggering of the Dormant Commerce Clause doctrine here. I, I made reference to the fact that constitutionally, it is Congress that is empowered to regulate commerce between the states. Is there room here for Congress to step in and to create a law or regulation that will better clarify what states can and, in this case, cannot do when it comes to regulating commerce that impacts potentially a neighboring state? Yes. Yes, of course, they do it all the time. We have countless food labeling statutes. We have beef and eggs and many other products that are labeled prime, superior. Um, We all know that. That's as a result of federal legislation. So food labeling laws, food content laws are all federal because it would be chaotic if every state had their own rules. And um, And that issue of having 50 states with their own rules Uh, means we have balkanization in the country and we don't have a country. And you hinted at this, Craig. Um, California has said, here are the standards, how many square feet a pig has to live in. Imagine if each state had different standards off by a foot or two. Imagine having to decide at birth when a pig is born, you're going to end up being sold in New Jersey if you go into this pen. It's impossible, obviously. So that's why... Maybe a national standard is the way to go. On the other hand, pig producers don't need any more legislation, and they're a voting bloc like everybody else, and they would try to resist or to some degree control any national legislation. But this conversation today is simply about the narrow issue. Can California 
flex its muscle, muscle and legislate how pigs are farmed in 49 other states. That's the issue we're talking about. Yeah, and if at the end of the day they get away with it, which I'm going to be hopeful that the U.S. Supreme Court will do the right thing here. Otherwise, I'll leave you with this thought. What What's to prevent a industry from saying, let's get a ballot measure out there that will significantly restrict our direct competition? I mean, who stands to benefit mostly from this particular proposition as it currently stands? Well, I tell you who. Uh, turkey producers, until the cattle industry comes along and suggests there needs to be regulation there. I mean, we can just regulate our competition out of business. What would be left to this country? Not much. At least nothing worth it. Amazing stuff. Bob unpacks these issues and more every Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, on our sister station, 860 AM. The answer, great detail available to you, including information about upcoming shows, past guests, and podcasts at bobzadek.com. B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.